Hi, I'm Gary David. And I'm Adam Gamwell. Welcome to Experience by Design, the podcast where we explore experience designs of all kinds. It can seem like, at least to me, and you know, since I'm talking, I'll speak for myself, that much of our lives, especially the lives we spend in organizations, is governed by a variety of different types of processes. In fact, organizations can be evaluated. Their people, believe it or not, whose jobs are this, to evaluate organizations based on how mature their processes are. Immature process. I know you do not want to be an immature process. You want to grow out of that and become a mature process. At some point, you got to grow up as a process. (laughs) Technological systems, in fact, can be set up to implement processes that our employees are supposed to follow. And anybody who's had a new technological system implemented into your organization knows the struggle of trying to follow these new processes. Even though processes are important, and I don't mean to belittle their significance, Actually, I do, but they are important. At the same time, these processes can be a killer of innovation. After all, when we are wedded to processes, we can lose sight of the actual practices or practices that people can employ to make customer experience better and actually get work done. Now, I've done research on practices versus processes. And, you know, if you have process-based systems that get in the way of practices, you're going to be in a whole lot of trouble. Thus, we end up with this tension between process and practice. The established ways of doing things in the form of process and the emergent skills and the know-how of how things get done. And in terms of how things get done, I mean, we have a lot of choices. We have a lot of ways we can go about getting things done. And it seems like technological advances like generative AI, chatbots, and other kinds of shiny new technological objects can create the perception that all we need to do to improve our processes and outcomes is just adopt new technology. Just get the latest and the greatest and things will work out for better. But in all these considerations, we can lose a key element to customer success, which is people. It is the ideas of people and the voices of people that we can find solutions. Or as the author and speaker Simon Sinek has said, If you don't understand people, you don't understand business. So before you jump into processes and technology, you have to first start with people. And to us, we say, what a novel concept, but also- What a novel concept. You know, people are are number one. People number one. I'm one of those like foam fingers that says people number one. Uh, But I'm not sure if they are. So, But in this case, today on Experience by Design, we are excited to explore this topic with you and joining us to help us make sense of it all at this intersection of process, practice, and people, or the triple P, we have Rick Denton. And Rick is the founder and lead for EX4CX, or Execution for Customer Experience. And Rick is a longtime customer experience advisor, as well as keynote speaker and podcaster for the CX Passport Podcast, which is a weekly talk uh, weekly talk show uh, with guests about customer experience and travel, and also has very funny titles that are related to Friends, the show. As a consultant, he has been able to work with such companies as Hilton, Bose, Capital One, and Dell. 
And for us, we want to ask the kind of questions and we'll see in this conversation, thinking through the idea of, you know, process and people and practices. How can we use technology also for the betterment of our customers? You know, are we just putting something in to improve a process? Are we actually trying to help people get better? Are we thinking about improving on practice? So for example, one of the things that we talk about is how do we rethink the ways that we display information? Like if I have to change a flight, an app that I'm using will clearly show that I've already paid for a ticket and what it is that I've paid. And then also the new potential costs and what those are going to be before I have to go through the entire checkout process. Because as of right now, if I do that, then I have to go through it and then X out and start over again. And it's it's a huge pain. Technology does not make that experience better. So how could we make that kind of experience better? And the point is, you know, I think you're right on, Gary, that to understand what people need and design for that. We got to start with people, right? Don't design for your board. Don't even design for what you alone think is best, but who are your customers and how do we help design for them? So we got a great conversation for you with Rick Denton and cannot wait to share it. So let's get to it. Yeah, I was I was doing some prep for you and looking up Rick Denton's in uh, in Texas. And and you're not the bass fishing guy, Rick Denton, are you? Oh, it isn't. Isn't it great that that's the dude that is top of SEO? It's the bass fishing guy <laughs> in my area. One of these days, and I'm not a huge fisherman, but I right. actually enjoy it when I do it. But it's not a it's not something I do. I mean, I he seems cool. Charter with the guy. He seems cool. I'm not gonna lie. I mean, I'm not much for the bass fishing, but the way he's selling it, I would kind of want to do it. Who knows? Maybe there could be some weird CX Passport episode where Rick Denton interviews Rick Denton and it just gets really meta and surreal. I'd listen to that. I'd listen to that. <laughs> Absolutely. And I, I guess I don't think about Texas having lakes because I don't know. I mean, Adam's from Texas, so he knows That's more true. about Texas than I do, obviously. But, it, you You're know, having like big bodies of water with bass, I just I don't I don't associate those things together. Well, Being from Michigan and us having a lot of water. Yeah, you definitely have bigger lakes. You don't have to have a big body of water is the first answer to that. You can have a small lake and uh, we do have plenty of lakes. What's interesting, or at least to me, is there's only one natural lake in the entire state. Every other lake is man-made. Interesting. I didn't remember that. So there's your, there's that? your trivia oh. question. <laughs> There's a trivia question for the day. Which lake is that? It is Caddo Lake out in East Texas. So everything else is man-made there. You can win at trivia now. Yes. All right. I've always wanted to win Texas trivia. It just, it seems like it'd make more sense, but I, uh, I never have. <laughs> now I might. So I appreciate that. <laughs> the, dream, the dream is real. Excellent. I, I did want to, you know, when we, 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 you called, you know, when we sprouted this call, got on the Zoom, I was complaining about a variety of things, which is not unusual for me. But I do want to give you a lot of kudos for something that you put on LinkedIn recently. And I couldn't agree more. I hate QR codes. Oh, amen. I, I, when someone slaps a QR code in front of me at a restaurant and Adam, you know, we ate before together and there was a QR code. So you got to experience this firsthand. I get really angry. I'm like, what are you doing? Mm -hmm. What is this all about? And I get it, right? We understand the origin story of the QR code. Well, not the literal origin story of it, but in COVID, it made sense. All right, I'm not handing you something. Maybe you don't want to be handed something. It works. It's another example of many things that have been introduced during the pandy that need to go away. And man, we could talk about that for a second. But this, the QR code, and it's, but it is an example. I don't know if you read all the way down in there. It is an example, though, of where I want the analog and the digital in the same experience. I want my analog 
menu. I don't want to have my device out when I'm there with my wife, when I'm there with my friends. But when it comes to paying, I also don't want to have to wait for a ticket to show up. I don't want to have to give you my card and all of that. I actually like the QR code at the bottom of their seat. Snap it, pay it with Apple Pay, and bam, I'm out. Hmm. So even in the same journey, it's an example right. of how companies often say, we got to be all digital. Or somebody say, no, we don't like any of that technology stuff. It, that's not what a customer wants. Meet the customer where they are, when they want to be met, in the mode in which they want to be met. Just real quick mm -hmm. on a follow to that. I was talking with a friend of mine who's in CX and he works for an insurance company processing death benefits. And he they were talking about going digital. I said, do you think processing a death benefit on a cell phone to make it quick, fast and convenient is the way people want to go? <laughs> just, Holy crap uh, that they're even considering that. I was like, my dad, I don't know. My dad passed away tragically in 2003 or unexpectedly. Let's not use the word tragically, just unexpectedly. And I can't even imagine if that, if the, the life insurance, thank God that he had was presented to my mom in an email or on a text message. Hey, here's your benefit. Thanks for shopping. Well, let's not insert name. No, <laughs> right. what a horrible idea. Hmm. Yeah. Fast, convenient, and easy. Is that the way I want to go when getting uh, processing my, my loved one's death? Unless they were a loved one. <laughs> Maybe then. Going back to your there point, you maybe you say like customer choice, right? <laughs> Did you like the person who died or not? Then that creates a tree of which, which way you go digital or analog. What a, uh, that, that'll be some interesting, uh, you know what? There's probably some life insurance tech company now going, Ooh, hey, I like that idea. This is where you, that's why you come here for that ideas. <laughs> and context is everything they say, right? So it's, if we can, if we can uh, have the right kind of menu of options, and also, I mean, I guess if we priced here in the way where it's like you have your your kind of fast and pretty quick in the middle road, like the the the, the cheaper option is like a little too slow, and the 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 most expensive option yeah. is a little too fast, just right in the middle there. You get your silver option, you're good to go. You know what? It, it, this is also bringing up, and that is, uh, are we saying that analog has to be slow? Right. Because actually, especially in the case of a family for whom the life benefit would actually like that's the make or break for the groceries that month. Right. If you've got a, a breadwinner that passes unexpectedly and they need that check. To, well, then, no, I do want it fast. I do want it simple. I do want it easy. I just don't want it with the coldness of digital. And so I think sometimes we even say things like, well, digital's fast. Analog is the warm, empathetic. Let's have a cup of coffee and sit together. Well, not necessarily. It can be warm and empathetic and fast in the human mm -hmm. realm, if that's what the customer needs. Hmm. Well, that is interesting because I was even reflecting on this, you know, listening to, to experience design podcasts like, like we do. Um, and, you know, the, the kind of push I was listening to it, it was a, it was kind of thought leaders in entrepreneurship. It was a, a Stanford podcast and, and, um, you know, just talking about the the push for automation also, right? And the idea that like digital can help us move both quicker, but then also cut out some of either the human labor side or some of the redundant labor. Um, and I don't mean like people being redundant, but just more like if I have to click on the same button every single time, let me automate that process. And and uh, this is for climate tech. And so even thinking about the idea of like when we're, we're trying to automate for, for environmental causes in terms of making processes easier for supply chains, for example, there is this interesting back and forth of like the, the CEO business leader desire to make things faster and more automated because it cut cost, but then also the, the experiential side for the employees of what are they losing out on? And so even like when we we think about the role of automation too, of that, like, Hey, does, I like the question, does analog have to be slow? But then also I, I like the evocative language you used of the digital feels cold too sometimes. And so automation also has that kind of quality. I think for a lot of people that it feels like it's, I can't do anything with it. It's just, it's this black box. And so it does feel cold and non-interactive. 
Um, so I mean, also thinking about this idea too, of like, when can we be smart about automation? And like, I like the idea of a QR code makes sense at the end of a meal, but not at the front of the meal or that at the start of the meal. Right. right. Um, so even, even this idea too, I think, I think is, is kind of interesting to, to think about. Um, I mean, for you too, a, a you know, person who loves, loves travel, like what about the passport experience? Like there's, that's a weird digital analog experience, but you literally have a physical document, right. That we still use. Uh, but how, how is like, I don't know, let's just play on that for a minute. Like, how does that, how does that work with you in terms of, do you like, what do you like about the passport experience? Um, as, as oh, part that's of a great one. Ooh, I hadn't thought of it. And here I am with the CX passport podcast guy. Right. I hadn't even thought about that. It, it is. Int- so I, I still remember this was probably the 90s, maybe it was the aughts coming into the US and being sad that I didn't get my passport stamped. That's right. On yeah. entry in the US. And I was like, no, no, I want to keep a log of that. And I, I still love looking at the the stamps that I get. Uh, one of the most beautiful visas that I ever had in my passport is this is about it's an older passport, but was the Egyptian visa. And it was mm-hmm. this beautiful one page ornate visa and how wonderful that was. And I loved every bit of it. That I miss. I do miss that part because there's something about travel that has that memento and I want to look at something and see that tangible. On the flip side, when I'm entering the U.S. now and use global entry and love the fact that and and now I, I don't know if y'all have done global entry recently. You don't even have to pull out your passport anymore. It, like I, I, the last time we came into the country was through Fort Lauderdale. We did not pull out our passports once. It was all facial recognition. I think we did fingerprints, but I don't even think we did that facial recognition. Boom, boom, get your luggage and you're out. So mm-hmm. even the physical passport itself, forget the stamps, that object is going away. And I got to say, I didn't mind it. That's one less thing that I had to worry about when I'm trying to a totally different story, having to deal with a canceled flight and a five hour drive to Tampa to get a flight the next day. So <laughs> I didn't mind not having it. And I think it all comes down to what does the customer want? And that can be the challenge for companies anticipating what they want. I just mm-hmm. in the last 90 seconds said, I love my physical passport. I hate my physical passport. Right. Well, good luck. I companies. That. Enjoy that one. <laughs> I, yeah, I, I did notice that there seemed to be like a switch halfway in the story between uh, the different extremes. But I, I, <laughs> and I, I, I do start to get resentful when companies try to push something that's beneficial to them as a thing that's supposed to benefit me, uh, insert rant here about self-checkouts. I was just at a, at a BJ's, uh, Sam's club, you know, Costco thing, yeah. and everyone was being funneled into the self-checkout. And I would got into a conversation with a guy. Well, actually he got in a conversation with me. I did not want to talk to him about how great and convenient it is. I'm like, you know, yeah, you have two items. I got a lot more going on and I started talking to my daughter. He's probably uh, in management. And the reason why so many experiences are horrible because he's viewing it as if it's good for me, it's good for everybody. And I don't need to think about anybody else other than the way I view it versus the fact that this huge long line was being formed because people were being funneled into this thing and it was not processing people efficiently or effectively, but yet we're supposed to believe that it's, our own benefit. That comes down to sometimes there's just an oversimplicity that's applied to solutions like that of, well, self-checkout is good because it's smoother, faster, efficient, easier without that next layer of, but for which customer, right? For, 
for me, the customer who has two items and those items are vitamins and a big old hunk of cheese and a massive slab of tenderloin. All right. I actually kind of like the self-checkout. Bip, bip, bip. I'm out. I, l- I let them look at my receipt on the way out and then I'm done. But if I had a full basket or as we frequently did as new parents, my kids are in college now. So, but our, uh, let's not use brands. Our big box shopping trip truly had three items, formula, massive smoked Gouda and wine. Well, do you know how much of a pain it is to have wine at a self-checkout? You beep it. They right. don't realize that I'm clearly over uh, age and have to sit there. So even the number of items isn't necessarily a directive to self-checkout. And companies tend to, it seems like they're going ditch to ditch. They over-index. Man, self-checkout's great. Let's all put all in that. We can't get enough staff. Let's put it all in self-checkout. And they move too far away from recognizing those, let's not overuse the word, but personas, those customer types, those scenarios, those use cases that need that human. That's a great point. Um, and it's, yeah, I mean, it, it kind of, it, it echoes on these ideas of, of when and why are we, why do we, I, I like the idea of oversimplification too, that we're kind of pushing too far to digital sometimes um, because again, it seems like it's quicker, but then there's these clear moments where it's not. And I wouldn't even call these edge cases, right? Like you know, if you can, if you can buy beer or wine at a grocery store, which you cannot do in Massachusetts, which I think is very strange coming from Texas. Um, that, uh, right. I know. See, you can't, you can't, you can't see Rick's face right now, listeners, but, uh, <laughs> um, yes, there's some, there's some curious things. Um, but these ideas make a huge difference, right. In terms of, will I choose self-checkout or not? And I, and I have made yeah. the choice not to, when I, for that exact reason, when it's like, well, I'm going to have to get ID, yeah. um, and, and do that. And so, you know, even this idea too, like, how can we help, uh, you know, one of the, the problems Gary is, is raising there too, that I think we, we see all the time too, there's so many business leaders oversimplifier they they say well i like it it works for me like how do we how do we help oh, yeah. them recognize let's not just do what you think is the best um Ooh. you know it's hard to change those minds but so what are some ways that we can do that Ooh. boy you've you've introduced multiple threads there and i'm i'm going to try to even mentally keep up with them but let's start with one of the juiciest one and that is well, let me try to list them so that we can come back to them and forget them. But I'm thinking about the diversity of your team. And I don't mean necessarily capital D diversity, but even that has an element of it too. We'll talk about that. And then the other is shiny object syndrome. So let's, uh, those are two that hit my mind right away. Um, we see companies being so guilty of assuming that their customer base is like them. And even if they wouldn't say that overtly, it's still innate in your decision process. Making. It's, it, it's your subconscious. It's your, you know, well, it, it feels good to me. Therefore, it just is the right choice, those sorts of things. And so a comp- this really then gets at, does your company base, does your employee base, and if it's specifically your customer experience team, if you need that, or just your overall contact center or company, does it reflect your customer base? Do you understand your customer well enough that you've sought out to hire talent that reflects your customer base? And I realize it doesn't always work out that way, right? Boeing and the engineers that design the airplane wing, well, you know what? I don't necessarily need them reflecting the customer base. I want them to be the engineers that design a wing, not me, the knucklehead that wouldn't even know what a wing would look like. And so that, how do, how do I make sure that even if I don't have 
that reflection of customer spectrum inside my company? How do I then get that insight of what that customer's experience is like into my company and use that to make my decisions? And that gets back to the root of voice of the customer, not surveys, not just surveys, but truly listening to what the customer is saying in their voice, in their actions, in their socials, in their shopping, whatever that is, and then acting upon it. That listening and understanding the customer, I think, is a key way, Adam, of avoiding that boardroom design of an experience that doesn't reflect the real world. Tactical ways to do that, right? I love playing customer calls. In, in, in leadership meetings and the like. And it's amazing how eyes just go open and go, we do what now? That customer experience, what now? And the other is, all right, go shop at our store, right? Mm-hmm. When you've got a physical experience that you can go do, go sit in seat 23E and see what that's like. Go, go make sure that you're right next to the lab door that doesn't latch and flaps open the entire flight, right? Make sure that you're doing that, not just always traveling in first. So I think getting that spectrum of understanding of your customer's diversity inside your company helps prevent scenarios like, well, I like self-checkout, therefore everybody likes self-checkout. Yeah, such an important point. And what about this shiny object? I usually call it shiny key syndrome, you know, with Mm. children, where if you want to distract them and get their attention, you just shake the keys, right? And I think about (laughs) technology very much like shiny key syndrome or the next solution, whether it be self-checkout or whether it be, you know, GPT or RPAs or whatever, right? There Mm -hmm. it is. That's the example that comes to mind right now, Gary. And that is AI in general, whether it's chat GPT or whatever that looks like. Everybody is now, and by the way, it's amazing how many experts have appeared in the last few months. Something that the I didn't know of the that. population yeah. didn't yeah. even really acknowledge until ChatGPT became visible and we were all aware of it and having fun with playing with it. Suddenly there's a bevy of experts out there. And so I treat that with a little bit of skepticism. That said, there's incredible value in that. But the shiny object there creates a sense of I've got to put digital in all of my solutions. And why am I putting digital in all of my solutions? I think there's two paths right now. Let's just go in the contact center as an example. But I think there's two sort of scenarios here. One is company says, I got to cut costs. I just want to cut costs. I want to get the sack or the sugar high of getting my costs down. And so I'm going to use technology to deflect as many human interactions as I possibly can. And so that shiny object scenario comes into play of it's AI, it's sexy, it's going to be solving all my problems, reduce my cost, I'm out, wonderful. The It's still shiny object, but it is a more thoughtful approach to it, not just let me grab it and, and do that, but how can I use this for the betterment of my customer? How do I listen to what my customer needs? We started this by talking about how do we avoid these edge cases, or not edge cases, how do we avoid these scenarios where we create experiences that are good to me, but horrible for a good population of my customers? Well, understand, okay, what are the segments of things that the customer would rather be solved by technology? Not what's easier, faster, cheaper, better for me, the company, but the customer would much rather have a quick hit solution from my technology, freeing then up my, my human base to handle the more complex, the more challenging, the, the more difficult. I would much rather have technology be able to allow me at a glance to know what I paid for a ticket so that when I change that airline ticket, I know what my cost structure mm-hmm. is and, and that. Technology, great. But when, let's go back to Fort Lauderdale, when my flight is canceled and I'm uh, 
the app is telling me I have no options whatsoever. Sorry, you have to live in for, uh, Florida. Struggling on my words there. Fort Lauderdale, yeah. Florida for a week before we can get you out. I need a human and I need a human right then. Right. By the way, that's a real scenario. That was what they were offering. So hmm. that, that that shiny object of technology will solve everything and then just slamming it in without understanding what do my customers really want is what I mean by that. That And I like the shiny keys aspect of it, right? Yeah. <laughs> because, we're all deflected or distracted by that. It reminds me a little bit of climbing Mount Everest or climbing a mountain. The deployment is good, like getting to the top as arduous and difficult as a deployment of a new enterprise system or new technological solution can be. It's still only getting to the top. You still have to get back down. And to me, I'm always shocked by how few companies actually do a kind of post implementation analysis. It be to see like what's the impact, well, you know, not just in terms of the measurable that we define as important, right? But in terms of the actual impact on work and people's actual experiences, and you really don't see that much. I was doing a project, a research project on, on electronic health record systems, and I was talking with a administrator of a hospital, and I asked. Once you go live, are you going to look at the impact that this technology has on the actual medical records or use? And he said, no, no, we're just going to uh, implement it and hope for the best. I was like, huh, okay, <laughs> that's not very heartening. <laughs> no, no. And, that, <laughs> and I realize, you know, this is not just a customer experience challenge. But what you're describing is what we were doing back in the, the Lean Six Sigma process right. improvement days, right? I, I don't remember all my acronyms. I've got a Six Sigma black belt, but it's gray from lack of use. I know that one of the key elements at the end of any Six Sigma Lean or just forget the labels process improvement project is measuring the results right. and then understanding if you were successful or not. And that's so true in customer experience. I Actually, I, I say this somewhat joking, but I, it is true. Some of the most fertile ground for me when it comes to target clients, potential clients for my business, are those that have bought a technology a year ago, thought it would solve everything. They've implemented it successfully. The technology is in. It's it's solving. But shocker, their results aren't better. Their customer experience didn't improve. Their, their revenue didn't go up. Their cost didn't go down. Whatever that might look like. And I have found that to be incredible fertile ground of the technology is great getting to that top of the mountain, like you said, but the getting down of it is actually using it and doing right. something meaningful with that, that impacts actual tangible business results. Very much like my daughter in her bedroom, actually. Uh, she wants to buy an organizing system, believing that that's the thing that's going to keep her room clean. I'm like... I'm like, no, 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 because we've gotten other systems before to help keep your room clean and it's still messy. So maybe the problem isn't the system. Maybe it's you. That is mm. the genius behind a particular store happening to be located here in my North Texas region <laughs> and the amount of awesome organizational systems that they have in place. They're, they're great. I love them. And so I think perhaps their entire business model is around. Yeah. Try this. Oh, that didn't work for you. Try this, try this, try this <laughs> without right. really. Now I know they have a suite of consultants to help you actually implement it and do good things with it. So you're right. The tool doesn't get you anything. Well, that's not fair. The tool gets you started. It's what you do with the tool, the actions that you use with the tool that really deliver the business results. Hmm. Are, are we short-sighting ourselves then as, as some businesses to, uh, to kind of, we want to sell the product, but like, is there most or more often a potential service model behind that? I mean, we see this with software, right? You know, software as a service, um, you buy the product, but then you kind of get a, a theoretically longer experience behind it because you're subscribing to it. Uh, right. But I don't know. I, I wonder about this too. Yeah. It's like, um, 
as someone who has shopped at said store, I'm thinking that an organizer will also help me organize my office better. And it didn't happen. <laughs> uh, you know, it's like, it'd be nice to have that, that, that other, that other side of it too. So I, I, I don't know. It's, it's interesting to think about just because it's also just been this like massive rise, maybe because, because I don't know, YouTube, but of, of like coaching and consulting also, right. That you can kind of find here's my new expertise. Um, right. Here's 10 things you can do that are not using, uh, you know, Obsidian or or Evernote to do your notes better, but just try XYZ method. So I don't know. I wonder about that too. Like the, I guess just to kind of cycle back and, and loop ourselves back into the human connection element. Like it's, it's having that connection with people, I think, and being able to talk through what I'm trying to figure out. Cause sometimes it's not the product that's the solution you're looking for. It's actually trying to build a pathway um, to help solve it. But then that's where a relationship with somebody that you can actually engage with and build over time could make all the difference. And, and that gets to that whole jobs to be done discussion around experience and experience design is is not what is the solution but actually what are you trying to do with the solution in that aspect of it i yeah. I, I don't think I, I i know exactly why i have been surprised by how many technology companies don't have that and i know that a lot of technology companies actually work with people like me and white label us through their company to deliver that service so there there is a model that exists and some of your big experience management tools have their consulting arms as well but even some of the well-known ones are focused more on how to, to help elevate the technology success of that, the building of the reports, the the data flows between systems and all that, not so much the how does it translate to business results. I don't know the answer to that. I don't know if it's just easier to secure funding out in the private equity and venture markets for a technology solution rather than, hey, I've got this consulting arm that I want to stand up in addition to that. I don't know if it's just easier to sell a product and then you've got the big nut that comes in and the sales of that are exciting as opposed to ongoing revenue. I don't have an answer. Hmm. It does seem odd to me too, that that is an area that seems to be under indexed in the technology solution space. Well, going back to your travel and, and your, your zoom picture, the pyramids are far more impressive than the people who built them. Right. <laughs> so at least a technological solution is like this pyramid, this edifice that we put, we can point to and say, we accomplished this. Hmm. We have this <laughs> thing. Whereas with the consultants, it's just like, Oh, you know, the the people who were the ones who were uh, overseeing the construction of it. But that is interesting. That that gets a little a little deeper. We probably don't want to touch into that. But you know, considering the the lack of um, what's the word I want to use, uh, those who were building the pyramids didn't have a choice associated with it. And so there, mm -hmm. not only was it that we don't remember who they were, but they were also just forced to to to, to create them. And we're impressed by the structures themselves, and we have through the passage of time forgotten the individual, an individual who is just like you or me, right? You know, there was a person who was living, breathing, had a family and created this amazing thing. And we've forgotten about it, but we have the structure there, the tool rather than the right. actual human behind it. Yeah. Hmm. I like that. I like that. Um, I mean, that may be a good, a good place to kind of wrap us to, you know, being both respectful of time. And, and also um, I think it's a key piece that, um, that would, I think merit a sequel. Because we have to, I think, at some point, unpack this this idea that like when the tech, it actually points us to the shiny object problem also, right? That like the the tech is the big shiny thing, um, yeah. and so we think about then. Uh, I want to see that and more of that um, when, in fact, the the human labor. I don't want to say human value, um, but human labor that goes into it uh, is actually yeah. what makes that thing worthwhile, right? In the in the first place, because it was even designed the pyramids themselves, right? Because as um, well, I guess it depends on your theory, but, you know, either for gateways to another world or, or pathways to venerate the the ancestors or the the pharaohs, right. you know, it's an interesting idea of like, what what is the point of the thing, you know, 
um, as yeah. well. So I think that that's also Ooh, a part of it. A whole other set of questions, the why behind it, the humanity <laughs> of it, the, 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 the absolute, uh, the depth that could be there. Now I would recommend that if we have a follow-up conversation, we get somebody much smarter than I am in the human sociology space. <laughs> and that's that. for. Yeah. Right. <laughs> we need someone much smarter than me in that space too. <laughs> that's right. We can do that's all right. Gary, we'll interview you. Can we flip it? Oh, Adam, sure. Yeah. In an interview of Gary. Uh, I do it every day. Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Why not? I love it. Yeah, I mean, who doesn't love want it. to listen to me other than my kids? We'll start there. <laughs> they definitely don't want to listen to me. And my students. Besides my kids and my students, everyone wants to listen to me. There you go. There you there go. You go. And my it. coworkers. Besides those three things, everyone right. wants to listen to me. Happy to do so. Well, there's a podcast. That's perfect. All right. Uh, well, thanks so much. Thanks so much, Rick. We appreciate your time and look forward to a part two of the conversation. This was a lot of fun, gents. Thank you for having me on the show. I really appreciate it. We'd like to thank Rick Denton once again from EX4CX for taking the time to talk with us about how do we integrate customer experience in smarter and more human-centric ways. And as always, you can find more about Rick and his work in our show notes. And per usual, folks, we'd love to hear from you. And some questions that are on the is the tips of our tongues, the ends of our brains, who knows where it is, um, after this conversation? Or, or what are some examples of well-executed customer experiences that you've well-experienced? You know, what are, what are examples that stand out as something else that is really, really nice? I mean, obviously, we can flip this question to and ask, what's a terrible customer experience? But I feel like that list is probably a lot longer. Um, and also, how can organizations ensure that they use technology to actually enhance customer experiences rather than just aiming to cut the bottom line? As always, shoot us a message at feedback at experiencexdesign or hop in the conversation on our LinkedIn page. And thanks so much for listening. And we always appreciate your emails and your feedback. We even appreciate the person who told me or told us that our families would burn in hell. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you taking the time <laughs> to share that so feedback with us. And uh, I'll take it into consideration and we might figure out how we can design a better afterlife experience. So thanks for the inspiration in that direction. I'll take it. If, if you too would like to express how my family will end up in eternal damnation, uh, feel free to send us an email at ex feedback at experiencexdesign.com. Or if you have other beliefs in what the afterlife will look like and how to design a better afterlife experience, feel free to send us a message there. Mm -hmm. And if you want to support us in the here and now versus the afterlife, you can always buy us a coffee at our website and click on the buy us a coffee link to help defray the costs of this podcast. And as the title of that email said, greed. So, you know, there to you be go. a little bit greedy here, you please buy us a coffee. Just remember, just remember to select the here and now, not the hereafter when you're buying us coffee. Right. So, because so I don't, I don't, I don't know what the exchange rate is for buying me a coffee in hell, but I guess the coffee would remain warm even without a Yeti thermos. So <laughs> thanks so much for all of your listening, all of your feedback. And if you want to subscribe, hit our webpage at experiencexdesign.com. And with that, as always, be safe, be kind, be well, and be here for the next experience by design. <laughs>